Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Halloween to you too. I do care about Halloween. Um, I do not care about Halloween at all. Um, I was coming back from somewhere in the afternoon and I saw kids walking. Yeah, I was coming back from the gym. I don't want to say I was coming back from the gym. (laughs) But now you put, you you made me say it. So let me tell you about my workout and my weight loss journey. Oh no. Um, And I saw saw some kids walking uh, on my street in their costumes and i was like oh shit i don't have uh, any candy <laughs> so then i went to the dollar store and bought 22 dollars worth of candy 22 dollars uh, yeah did it get that eaten a up that's a um lot. a lot of it did i think like yeah 75 uh, of it got taken okay yeah okay we have stopped buying candy um because there's always so much left over from when my kids go trick-or-treating because they never eat all the candy that they actually get and then it just sits there all year. And then we just hand that same candy out the next year. Let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Do you eat as much candy as an adult as you thought you would when you were a kid? Not at all. It's a honestly. shame, right? It's such a shame. <laughs> but I will say it's not like as a kid I wasn't eating a ton of candy. I was. I was there were there was no limitations on my candy exactly. as a kid. Yeah. So yeah. and I, I thought... think I got my fill. Oh, you think that's what happened? Because I thought this would never end. But like when I'm like walking by like the checkout counter and there's candy there, nothing does nothing. Of course not. We're adults. Yeah, but that's bullshit. No, I think it's because of like the psychology there is that when we were younger, we felt like this was like a forbidden special thing. And so Uh that's why we felt excited about it. But now as adults, we're like, okay, whatever. It's fine. When you eat a piece of candy, it is still delicious. Okay, it is still let's there, talk but... about. I wanted to ask you: Can you share with me your top five candies? My top five candies. So I think right off the bat, easy for me. And number one is Reese's Pieces. No, and you got to very... go five to one. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know. So five to one, I have to rank it. Uh, okay, no, it's fine. Uh, so l- let me try. Number five, I'm gonna say I'm gonna try to be um, controversial here. And you're okay. going to hate me because this is a no. bad answer. I know it's a bad answer. But um, Butterfingers, I do like Butterfingers. Yep. You toffee-ass son of a bitch. And you know, I hate toffee. I hate yeah, toffee. Yeah, I don't know why you like Butterfinger. I like the I like the peanut butter getting stuck in my teeth so I can revisit <laughs> it. <laughs> um, I like that. Uh, number four, I'm going to go with, what are those chocolate-covered malt balls called? 
Anything that fizzles in my mouth, I'm a big fan of. <laughs> You're an old lady. Malt balls? Like malt balls with like the with the like covered in chocolate. Duds? Milk no, duds? Not, no, not milk duds. Milk duds can get fucked. <laughs> okay, malt ball candy. Uh, malt teasers? Is that what that is? Whoppers. Oh, did Whoppers. you drop your mic? I did drop my I got very excited about the, <laughs> the malt balls. Whoppers. Whoppers, yes. I do love yeah. a good Whopper. Um, and then I'm going to get, you know, serious. Yeah. Uh, number three is Twix. Uh-huh. Number two is uh, Milky Way. What? That's right. I love a nougat. You love a nougat. Wow. And number one is Old Reliable, Reese's Pieces. Of course. Reese's Pieces, not a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. No, I like them both. <laughs> I'll eat the shit out of both. I'll anything the in the Reese's family. Yeah, anything in the Reese's. Do you I get don't... excited when like the seasonal shaped Reese's comes out? Yeah, I do. I get like a, I, I get a, it gets a smirk out of me. Like a Reese's, Cause... like a Reese's peanut butter cup in the shape of a bunny during Easter. Adorable. Real right now. I have Reese's <laughs> peanut butter cups in the shape of pumpkins in my house. Yeah. They're so good. They're just still they're the same thing. Exactly the same. But you know what? It doesn't. Number one, I don't have to mess with the wrapper, mm-hmm. with the little skirt that the Reese's comes in the cup. Ooh, there's no skirt. There's no skirt because there's no ridges because it's just a pumpkin. Now, in your life, how many times <laughs> have you eaten the skirt with the candy? I've <laughs> like, never. I've never eaten the skirt with the candy, but. I have licked the candy off the skirt. Yeah, exactly. If it gets melty, there's no. flavor. There's flavor in the skirt, as always. No candy left behind ever. Uh, do you want to hear my top five, or you don't care? Of course, I do. Yeah, okay, I think go you number- asked me that question because you had your list ready to go. It's no, I actually don't have my list ready to go, but I will share it with you. Okay, number five. I'm gonna go with a classic. Um, milk chocolate Hershey's Kiss. Mm, yes, it's a course. perfect little little something. Sometimes you have those with like a cup of coffee. Yeah, it's great. It's a great time. Question. Yeah, yeah. Now you're only going classic because sometimes there are those like white and black ones, or like the uh-huh. white and chocolate the ones swirl. with the cream with the swirl. Yeah, and then sometimes yeah. there's like the almond ones. They're almond ones, right? I love the almond ones too. Okay, okay. So we're covering all kisses. All kisses are covered. All the kisses are covered. Okay. Okay. Number four, I'm going to go with a uh, a Hershey's with almonds, a Hershey's bar with almonds. Okay. What, I don't what is that, face? No, it's just go with a Hershey's bar. The Hershey's no, bar. What, what, no, because what a Hershey's, no, because I need the crunch. You know, I'm a, I'm a horny. Eat for almonds on the side. Just the, we're talking no. about the candy. No. No, I have, as you know, a seasonal nut allergy. Which you don't believe me when I share I this believe, every time. I don't believe that's a real thing. How can that, that happen? Okay. I have a birch pollen allergy, okay? But when the pollen is high, I'm uh and I cannot have almonds. Okay. I don't know what to, I don't pollen, know what to tell you. When the pollen oh. is high, your allergies are a real birch. Yeah, exactly. But sometimes I'll risk it because I'm like, I gotta have the almonds with my chocolate. Yeah. Like even like a Hagen dazs that's covered in like the chocolate and with almonds is the best. Yeah. So good. Like the okay. ice cream. Yeah. Okay. Number three, I'm going to go with Twix. Yeah. Number two, Snickers. Mm-hmm. And number one, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Of course. 
Of course. You know what doesn't get in any of our lists and it can frankly get fucked? Skittles. You know, I was going to ask you that. Our list is very chocolate heavy. It is going for a certain type of taste. We have completely turned our backs on any sort of fruity flavored things, Uh like anything with like jammy, anything that's citrusy. And I'm a citrus bitch, as you know. Yeah. But is that is that the right move? Like no Jolly Ranchers on our list. No. None of that candy. No. Jolly Ranchers is just a piece of lollipop. Okay. Let's be honest with ourselves here, guys. It's a lollipop. Okay. They tricked you into thinking that it's something special. It's not. Also, um, I don't like Skittles. I think also because like when we were growing up, I didn't really care about Skittles. And then when we moved mm-hmm. to America, they were like, oh, you can't have Skittles because of the gelatin. And then suddenly yeah. became this like forbidden fruit. And then when they started making Skittles, like I guess gelatin free or like vegan Skittles or whatever the fuck mm-hmm. it was, I had them. And I was like, this is why did anybody care about this? I don't like chewy candy. And you, you're also not a fan of tart. And Skittles are tarty. I do like tart in desserts. I've grown. I, I will say oh. this for heal about myself. I'm excited when I have a lemon bar. Of course, because it's the best uh, dessert there is. Anything I'm excited when there's a key lime pie. It's a of good course, time. It's, it's the best pie in the world. Yeah. I love citrus in a baked dish or like a, a proper dessert. A pudding, as the Brits call it. <laughs> but... Candy? No, because candy, when it's citrusy or fruit flavor, it's just artificial. It's not real fruit or citrus flavor, and that is bullshit. You think the chocolate is a real chocolate? You think there's a a child actually taking the chocolate? It's all artificial. No, chocolate is still real chocolate, Rahil. What are you saying? I don't know. I was just trying to push back on your artificial (laughs) Um, anyway, we went trick or treating, we walked the neighborhood, then the kids, all the kids uh, that we went with came back to our house, they had pizza and it was a proper uh, suburban Halloween night today. That's nice. You know, speaking of things, I don't eat as much as I thought I would growing up. Pizza. I thought I would eat pizza every single day. I I have so much pizza and it makes me very happy. I eat a lot of pizza and a lot of french fries. It's a way to live. It's the right way to live. <laughs> I'm an adult and I deserve <laughs> those things. I've really gotten into McDonald's lately because like mm-hmm. I wasn't a fast food person because I thought that I was better than that. Also, when like because I lived in the city for a couple of years, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'm not going to go get fast food. Like, why would I do that? There's so many better places that I could go eat in the city. But now I'm just a suburban piece of shit. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, <laughs> I fucking love McDonald's so much. I have uh, eaten a lot of fast food. I think my fast food days are unfortunately behind me now. Um, yeah, and it's you did go to I the just... gym in the afternoon, like a yeah. one of those people. Well, uh, even then, I just um, I, I don't find the need for it. I, I will say when I do have it, it is amazing. Taco Bell is still amazing. Uh, but what you should really look into if you are back on this fast food journey is Arby's. I don't think you have had nearly as much Arby's as you need to in your life. I'll be honest with you. I don't think I've ever had Arby's. See, this is bullshit. This is this. And you know what? This is how I lived for a long time. <laughs> so I, I get it. But the Arby's dollar menu is incredible. Just go there and get everything. Just try it out. Because you don't even have to get like the big stuff. 
I don't know if I want to eat a roast beef sandwich. That's what I thought. <laughs> I thought, why would I eat a roast beef sandwich? That seems like big and sloppy and stuff. But what you're forgetting is that it's fast food. So it's made for convenience. By the time you get it, it's not like a proper roast beef sandwich. It's like all smushed up and stuff. So it's very easy to eat. And it's like sticky and gummy because, you know, <laughs> it's been in the, like the aluminum foil. Ew. I know I'm making it sound very appetizing right now, but it's so good. Remember when we used to fuck up some Boston Market? Yeah. Oh, Boston. those are the days. Is that fast food? I guess it is. I, yeah, it is. <laughs> that rotisserie chicken is in that <laughs> in that little like oven yeah. being set and forgotten for days. <laughs> At 7 a.m. At 7 a.m. The first chicken goes in at 7 a.m. Okay, the the Boston Market. And remember, uh, Boston Market used to have these, like, sandwiches. Carver sandwiches, yes. (laughs) So good. They would have this one with, like, chicken and cheddar. Oh. (laughs) So good. You could taste the trans fat on the mac and cheese. Oh, those are the days. So good. So good times. Anyway. Mm -hmm. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about lately. Yeah. Things are dark. Things are bad. Things are bad, guys. Um, I guess we talked about Halloween. I I don't you know what? I'm gonna can we I don't know if I want to talk about dark stuff yet. Okay. Can we talk about sports? You wanna go straight to sports? Let's go straight to sports. You sent an article, something about Travis Kelsey's family is sick of the attention they're getting from this Taylor Swift nonsense. Can you tell like us about that. it? I like that that's your sports intro, which is the gossip <laughs> that I sent you. <laughs> nothing to do. Yeah, it, they're just um it's it was obvious. It was it was bound to happen. It's I'm sure it's very exciting when you're first in the limelight with Taylor Swift, but that kind of limelight is really only made for one person and that's Taylor Swift. And she's used to it and she can thrive in it. That's just like a normal person. And, you know, Travis Kelsey isn't a normal person. He's still a superstar. Or he's like a big athlete. But he's not that kind of superstar. So now these stories are leaking out, which probably means that they're going to break up soon. That would be my guess. You think so? Yeah, I think think that's usually when people start, like, reaching out to TMZ. You know exactly what's happening. Hmm. I don't know. They were – there was a picture of her in, like, the – backstage i don't think it's backstage locker room mm-hmm. <laughs> backstage at a at a chief's concert she was <laughs> <laughs> so she she was like um she's a, there's a picture of a tra- it's travis kelsey and her and they're like doing this like cutesy hug and then there's another player with his girlfriend or wife hugging and it looks they're the player and the the woman the wife they're black players it's a black player and his wife and they're both black people is what I'm trying to say. It looked <laughs> photoshopped. It looked I was like, I don't think I've ever seen Taylor Swift near black people. Like I Ice Spice, maybe, but like, yeah. you know, that's it. I it was just it seemed like it was Photoshop. I didn't believe it. But anyway, it looked they looked good. I mean, people are the funniest thing about all of like the Taylor Swift people who are like taking apart all of the pictures and they're like, Travis Kelsey held her hand in public. Has anyone ever held her hand in public? It's like, yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure they all have. It's fine. And they're like, you so know, he's crazy. 
people are crazy. They're like the way that he walked in front of her to open the door for her. Like, this is what she deserves. She's so free. She's so loving. Like some people zoomed in on their face and were like, you can see Taylor's classic red lipstick on his nose because they were making out in the car. I'm like, okay. <laughs> They're adults. They're in their 30s. Make out. In their 30s? Yeah, they're 30-some people. Like, wow. Um, anyway, you said that you had been listening to the new 1989 Taylor's version after all this trash talk about Taylor Swift. Uh, excuse me. When have I trash talked Taylor Swift? <laughs> oh, excuse me. Um, no, you do love her. <laughs> I do. So I do. Listen, I am a big fan of Taylor Swift's music. I fell out of love with her as a celebrity in the mid 2010s when I think we all did. Right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, one of the things that I have started to do recently again is my jaunts are back. Um, my jaunts had gone away for a couple of years. You know, I just want to clarify to the listener. You're saying your jaunts, not your Johns. J A U N T S. Yeah. Cause your big... Johns could mean that you are a lady of the night <laughs> and the Johns are your customers. So and those customers sure. are never fucking going away. <laughs> they know where their they bread never is. Left. No, they never left. They would never leave. Yeah. So your little strolls, your sprints, your power walks, your Johns. My power walks are back uh, as a result of London because I walked a lot in London. I was like, you know what? I love walking. Why am I stopping myself from walking? I love walking. I love walking. So there's, uh, <laughs> there's a park right next to me. So I go there in the morning and then I go there in the afternoon and then I go there at night. As like a break thing because it also helps me control some of my other bad habits. Anyways, mm-hmm. um, so I've been listening to music. This morning at 8.15 a.m., I started listening to the 1989 Taylor's version that came out. And A, it's amazing. Um, okay. Wait, number one, my question is, how different is it from the regular 1989? You know, I don't know. But I okay. know that I know that when I heard it, I was like, this sounds very good. And I think I think what's been happening with all of the Taylor versions is that the music, like the, the sound recording, is better. Number one, yeah, uh, it's less two, poppy. Yeah, and I think number two, her singing is better because she's just had ten more years of practice or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it also made me like nostalgic for like twenty fourteen Taylor when she okay. was like the queen of the white people. Just you know, <laughs> just. Spoiler alert, she's still the queen of the white people. Yeah, but it's like a different type of queen of the white people. Remember when she used to have like her celebrity friends and stuff come out on stage with her? She she still does. No, come on. They were all like supermodels and she was like, look, I'm so relatable. Well, yeah, now she's like in her new phase of life where she's just carrying around married women and divorcees. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a little bit different. Um, But the album itself, fantastic. Okay. Have you heard heard it it here first? Yeah, Taylor Swift is very good. <laughs> Hot take. It's a um, Taylor Swift song. What's my favorite Taylor Swift song? Is that what you asked me? That is what um, I asked you. Ooh, okay. Um, I think I have to go with um, something from Folklore. I'm going to say Last Great American Dynasty. Okay. From Folklore, for me, it would be Epiphany. Oh my god! I can't even talk about Epiphany. It makes me cry. <laughs> um, but I think all-time Taylor song, if we're not being assholes, if we're being honest, is "Love Story," right? Oh, of course. It's love. Okay, story. 
the album that Love Story is in? I think it's, is it Red? No. No. The song Red is criminally underrated. I okay. feel like the song Red should be a big I'll be honest. I'm not familiar with some of Taylor's albums. Mm-hmm. I know some of her early work, and then I know 1989 um, because of the uh, blank spa- blank pages, blank spaces. Blank space. My God, you are an embarrassment. <laughs> okay, <laughs> calm down. So I, you know, I didn't. Uh, I, I, I. So okay, I'm I'm going through my phone now to see what Taylor albums I care about. So that 1989 I liked, and then I liked Folklore, and then I liked. Um, What's the next one? Evermore? Evermore. Yeah. But then when the Taylor's version stuff started coming out, Fearless, Taylor's version, that album is good. (laughs) It's really, really good. There's a song on there called, um, uh, let me see, what's the song? Me and my kids love to listen to it. You're Not Sorry? Oh, my God. Forget it. It's so good. So that is one of the things about, like, the Taylor's version uh, songs. There's some songs on there that I didn't really listen to the first time around, and yeah. they're really good. So there's yeah. one on the 1989. Yeah, which one it is? It's called. Like, is "Shake uh, It Off" in 1989? It is. "Shake Ugh. It Off" is in 1989. "Shake It Off" is the worst song ever created, ever. It's the worst it. song I've ever heard in my life. It's not the worst song. No, it's the worst song I've ever heard in my life. And the player's gonna hate. So that song could not be released now. No. It is too much culture vulturing, I feel. Yeah, it's just a bad song. Uh, to this sick beat. It's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. Shut up, Taylor Swift. <laughs> you know what? I'm not gonna listen to the new 1989. No, don't no. do that. Uh, <laughs> listen, no, I wish you would. I wish okay. you would is a great song. All right, great. I'll do that. It's one of those that I heard on my morning jaunt this morning, and it may have put a pep in my step. A pep in your step. Amazing. And the steppy. All right. Um, You want to talk about Hasan Minaj? Sure. So you, I have to say, okay, let's talk about where, uh, bring the people up to speed. Hasan Minaj, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how there was a New Yorker article about him essentially being a pathological liar. This article mm-hmm. said that he is a psychopath who makes up all this stuff about his life to seem cooler and more relatable. And he has almost like borderline profited off of these fake stories about himself yeah. to make himself seem like a victim of racism in America. Mm-hmm. And you read it and I read it. And the first thing we both said is, is he a sociopath? Oh, oh no, he's actually a psycho, right? Yeah. And we talked about it. And I will say, I was on record to say, it makes me feel confused yeah. why the New Yorker specifically went after Hassan Minaj. I felt yes. like there was something really like unsettling to me about it because it felt like an like a like picking on a young Muslim American brown man yes. for no reason at all, right? And you were like, mah, 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 mah. no, he deserves it. He's crazy. <clears throat> but then Hasan Minaj this week put out this video responding to the New Yorker piece. And he came with receipts. And you know I love receipts. Mm-hmm. Boy, do I love receipts. And he basically proved out that the New Yorker purposely like took out 
took things that he said out of context to make him look like an absolute liar. And what I loved about the video that he put out is he's like, uh, the person that you guys read about seems like a psychopath, but that's not who I am. And I was like, oh, my God, Hustin, yes, I do think you're a psychopath. (laughs) So I felt like that was I felt like it was great. I felt like it was such a good like go watch the video. It's on YouTube. But essentially, he proves out that everything that he was saying in the article, everything they said about him in the article about him making stuff up and him not being able to like be reliable. He says a lot of he explains a lot of the stories. Mm -hmm. He's like, no, I I was harassed by the F. There was an FBI informant. You know, there was a guy who was in our mosque. Um, the New Yorker in that FBI informant story was like, don't you think you should have given that guy a heads up? <laughs> Which I was like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. It, and and the best thing about all the receipts is it's all audio. Like, it's all audio that he shared out. It's audio and emails that he shared out to basically prove that this the prom story, he did tell them the truth about what the prom story was. He has no problem yep. explaining it. He also isn't. He has contact with the woman that he went to prom with, and he's been gone above and beyond to make sure that she is protecting herself. He actually went ahead and told her to take down some of her social media and old tweets that might link her to him. So, like that clarified the anthrax story. I thought was the one that I care the most about because you and I both talked about how that was the most upsetting to me to say that your child was put in danger. And when he explains it, he's like, I did get an envelope. I did have powder inside of it. And I was getting threats because of the story that I did about the Saudi government. And like all of those things happened. But I do like one of the things he essentially said in the end of this video is what I think kind of clarified a lot of stuff. Because you were saying when the initial article came out that like, when you when you put yourself out there like a political comedian, people rely on you to tell the truth about the reality of the world. And he mm-hmm. was very clear in saying when he does a show like Daily Show or Patriot Act, that is political comedy that he's like there's intense fact checking there. But when he does his one man shows, that's not a political comedy. That is his, you know, him telling him being a storyteller. Yep. a sto- storytelling comedian. And I think that specifying those two types of comedy is important um, because I think that for a long time, people sort of like bundle both things into one for Hassan. So mm-hmm. I was just glad that he got it out there and like, fuck the New Yorker because they put out a statement afterwards being like, we stick by our story. And I was like, yes. okay, <laughs> so you're just, you're not even going to explain why you went after this guy. And one of the other things he said was, if you're going to talk about how comedians make stuff up, why don't you actually go and find out what other comedians make stuff up? Like yeah. in a world of like Louis CK's, why are you trying to cancel Hasan Minaj? It's so fucking weird. Yes. So uh, since you called me out, and yeah. I think you, you did an impression of me earlier. I did. It was very um, accurate. I do want to point out, yes, it was another learning moment for me. Which is where uh, your sister is always right. Well, no, it's not my sister. (laughs) It's younger people than me, people younger than me. Oh, Um, one of the things that I'm realizing is that if somebody tells me that they suspect racism and I don't see the racism, it's probably racism. And I just (laughs) haven't noticed it. Yes. So, yeah, because, like, I was trying to think of, okay, The New Yorker is, uh, it's it's a known magazine. It's like a prestigious magazine, right? I was like, 
why would the New Yorker, like, I'm trying to make sense of why they would write this story this way, right? And the thing that he did, I think he led his video off, and, and the thing that bothered me the most was the prom story. And mm -hmm. I was going off of what the New Yorker's reporting of the prom story was. And between the actual reality and what was reported, I think that's the biggest one, right? That's the biggest one where it's like the New Yorker paints a completely wrong picture of their interaction with Hasan Minhaj and what the actual story was. So I think that's the reason why he spent the most time on that one also, because yeah. I think without the prom story, the other two stories don't matter as much and you really don't have a story. Like if yeah. it was just the, like the FBI informant one and the baby one, people would understand that. Right. People would be like, well, it doesn't really matter. A sure. It's an FBI informant who gives a fuck about that guy. Right. And, and the second one was the baby one. People would just say like, well, it's his baby. He can make up the story. At least that's a that's a way that I was looking at it. The prom story upset me because according to the New Yorker piece, he had just kind of made up the fact that these people were racist, like her parents yeah. were racist and that there was nothing to like there was no racism as part of the story. Right. When it obviously was. Like, yeah. the, like the receipts that he shows shows that, the, you know, these are things that they obviously talked about and it actually ended up being like a really great thing. So, like, I don't understand why the New Yorker wouldn't just tell the actual story, because I guess it's not as interesting like yeah. to hear that, you know, it's more interesting to just call somebody a liar. So, yeah, I say fuck uh, the New Yorker. Um, I am. Yeah, I will say. In that uh, in that episode that we recorded, I did say that I would still uh, fuck with Hassan Minaj, and yeah. you said I can't say that because I'm forty. But um, you know, I would still fucks with uh, Hassan Minaj. Is that the right uh, you would you would still fucks with Hassan Minaj? Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, well, I think Hassan is around our age, so he would also fucks with Hassan Minaj. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, I think that what you bring up is a great point, which is if somebody suspects that there's racism, there probably is racism, even if you don't see the racism, because that's the, you know, we get triggered by stuff like that. And I think that that is a good segue into talking about what's been going on. Uh, oh, okay, first of all, I just want to say, hey, thanks to everybody who reached out uh, from our last episode talking about Israel and Palestine. I know it's a big, heavy topic. And like, I was nervous listening or talk recording it. I think I was just trying to make sure that like, every, ev that, you know, that we're being honest. I think that's the biggest thing is like being honest mm -hmm. in our conversation. And that's something over the last week that I've been trying to think of more, which is that people are having really big react. Like, I think, you know, even though, ugh, let me start over. Even though Hasan Minaj's story and the newspaper, like the newspaper, the papers, the New Yorker put out this hit piece on Hasan Minaj and like really talk shit about him and stuff like that. We fell for it because of the way that it was written, because we take 
journalism for what it is. Right? Or like, oh, okay, this mm-hmm. this person researched and they put it together and this must yeah. be it. Like, this must be the reality. And with Israel and Palestine, we are such we're in such a deep state of like reacting to certain information and how it's put out because that's the only way we're get, like we're getting we're getting information obviously currently through TikTok and social media and all that stuff right people in Palestine are people in Gaza are like posting their experiences Al Jazeera and all of the the journalists that are stuck there are posting their experience so we have those types of videos but for the most part a lot of people get their information through news right? Like you still get it from like Reuters or the New York Times or whatever. And the way that a lot of this information is being shared out really changes what, how you, how you react to certain like tragedies happening right now. And I think that there is you know, obviously there is there is blatant anti-Semitism. We talked about it a lot last week. There is blatant anti-Semitism. And you and I talked about like being honest. We need to be honest that yes, some of people's anger at yeah. Israel and at Jewish people, and especially Israel and the state of Israel, is their mistrust of Jewish people. It's yeah. their anti-Semitism. So you have to be honest with yourself and you need to call on yourself and say like, hey, why do I tend to believe these terrible things about a particular group of person or a, a typical a, a particular group of people when I hear something in the news, right? I think in the same way, people have to be honest with how Western media reports on things happening in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I really picked up on in last week. And I, you know, it's, it's great to see the, the change in like, it feels hopeless right now. It feels extremely, extremely hopeless because like our government is still out there being like, we support Israel wholeheartedly as they defend themselves. Right. And that defense means that they're like today they bombed a refugee camp, right? Um, that's hard, and it's felt really hopeless. But also today, there uh, the White House put out a statement talking about how extremist settler violence in the West Bank yeah. is absolutely out of control and that Israel should be going, making sure that that doesn't happen and that the United States completely stands against it. And they're pushing for the Israeli government to make sure that those people are like that they're, you know, there's charges against these people and that people in occupied territories are protected. That to me is not something I ever thought was going to happen because as long as I've been in this country, I have literally never, ever heard any U.S. like any, any, president or anybody in our government talk about settler extremism or mm-hmm. settler, settler violence against Palestinians in occupied territories. Yep. So like there is an absolute shift. So I want to make sure that we give like, you know, a kudos to the fact that there are so many people now marching for Palestine and wanting, yep. you know, per, uh, the ceasefire and all that stuff. But I also have to pay attention to still how Western media chooses to talk about Middle East or violence in the Middle East. Because like you mentioned it last week, how like when we talk about savages and barbaric 
things happening for some reason that is only saved for terrorism. It's only saved for brown people. But what when you carpet bomb now, as of today, 9,000 people and 9,000 people are dead, that's still savagery. But we never talk about it that way. There is so much like blatant Islamophobia. There's so much blatant anti-Arab sentiment right now. Obviously, there is blatant anti-Semitism as well. There was like a bunch of um, uh, Russians that were chasing after Jews coming off of a flight from Israel in an airport. Like that's that that is fucking terrifying. If I was a Jewish person in the world, I'd be fucking terrified. So yeah. I understand. But there's all and and I'm glad that that is being reported. Um, I'm hor- it's horrible that it's happening, but I'm glad at least the news is giving it that attention. I don't believe still to this day that the West is reporting on like how fucking hard it is to be a Muslim or an Arab in the West. It, it's just I don't and I don't know like how to like I, I actually am getting too emotional to talk about it, but it's still really difficult because you know their idea of of like racism against Muslims is like I don't know it's still so like tokeny like it all it still feels yeah. like you know oh you there's hijabis at my job so I know that this space isn't racist it's like <laughs> it's it's like it's kind of like people who are like oh you know black people in America aren't oppressed anymore you know Oprah is so rich it's like it's like the <laughs> same thing right like no America's really nice to Muslims like my doctor is Muslim like I don't give a fuck like you guys are so racist against us and I, and I think that I'm still so emotional that I still sometimes don't have the like capacity to explain how I feel certain like how I I get I I experience racism in certain spaces as a Muslim woman. And it might be too triggering for me because I had such a horrible experience after 9-11. That underlying thing of like, hey, it's not all, it's not all on the level. You know what I mean? I think that's still like a residue of uh, 9-11, of everything that kind of happened after 9-11. I I feel like, you know, if 9-11 happened in like Saudi Arabia or Pakistan or something like that, right? My expectations of if it, if it was one religious uh, party or one religion that was attacking or that had done an attack in the name of that religion, I think the reaction, my expectation of that reaction would be different than what happened in, in America after 9-11. My own personal history with that is I've always looked at it as, you know, kind of this like because of how it went for me and this is very very selfish because i knew that there were people that didn't have the same experience that i had i had a very like i have a i had a very easy post 911 experience right mm. than you did right but i still think that there is this thing that hasn't been dealt with so it's always kind of under the surface so like that you know that 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 going to calling Muslim Muslim savages and and stuff like that is still kind of a leftover thing because yeah. that's what they're tapping into. It's like they call Muslim savages and what you know if you're just a regular American, a non-Muslim, if you're a white person, um, you know, you're just like, yeah, I remember. I remember that Muslim savagery. I remember that I remember those two towers going down. Of course I do. Yeah. So yeah, they're yeah. savages. Right. And that's just yeah. how easy it is. And that's 
it's really, really disappointing. It's really disappointing that, you know, there are, that there is media out there that thinks that that's okay. Even in like, this is weird to talk about, or this is going to be tough to kind of tow my, my line through, but like the way that they talk about the Israeli hostages, and I don't want to be wrong, the Israeli hostages deserve all of our sympathy. They deserve all of our love. What we need, what would be best for everybody is that they are safely returned. That is the best scenario for everybody. That's the best thing for Israelis. That's the best thing for, for Palestinians. That's just the way that it is, right? The way that the news covers the stories of the people is they make it personable, right? Yeah. So they talk about one person. They talk about one family. And they talk about, oh, look at this person's life. And they are in danger now. And they're in danger because of these savages, right? It is supposed to evoke an emotional response from you. What they don't do is give any space to the 9,000 people that have also died. Yeah. Those 9,000 people are also people. Those 9,000 people also had the same families, the same dreams, the same hopes. Their deaths are just as tragic yeah. as everybody's, right? So it's hard. It's hard to see that as a Muslim somehow, sometimes. But what I will say, you know, you said that it feels hopeless. It doesn't feel hopeless to me as a progressive because I do think that there is like this is the first time because there's been many of these conflicts in the past. Yeah, in my it happens life, every right? few years. Happens every few years. I think in in terms of like the progressives, the view when it comes to human rights, I think it comes down to two things, right? It's regardless of how we got here. Number one, Israel's policies against Palestinians are cruel and possibly racist. I, I want to be careful about using racist, but you know, whatever it is, they are discriminatory. Nobody yeah. can deny that the state's policies are fucked up. Right? Yeah, they're ethnically targeted. They're ethnically targeted. And number two, that those policies are a major contributing reason to why the situation is what it is today. Right? Yep. Now, that is something that was not openly said in the past. And it's still not, I don't think it's not, I don't think it's like the mainstream media's view yet, mm -hmm. but it's definitely the view of young progressives. Um, yeah. It's definitely the view of people that, you know, that people have gotten upset at calling, you know, by being too woke or whatever, right? This, mm -hmm. These are like the BLM people, anybody that has any sort of like activism, I think that has to be the view. Right now, we're Muslims and we have grown up with the Muslim point of view. So naturally, we're sympathetic to the Palestinian cause. Right. And for us, we think of Israel's policies as the biggest factor um, yeah. and the reason why things like Hamas happens. But I also understand if a Jewish person believes that they have been historically fucked over yeah. and don't have the luxury of believing the rest of the world. Right. Yeah. Because that is what's happened. Like, they don't have the luxury of believing that people don't want to harm them because that is historically what has happened to them, right? Yeah. But even then, if you just look at the two sides, you have to see that what's happened to the Palestinian citizens is bullshit, right? Yeah. So I think that part is changing. And I, I don't think it's there yet, but I think what's going to eventually happen is that people are going to start calling on Israel as the state, like 
for its responsibility in this. I think yeah. that is becoming harder and harder to avoid for the rest of the world, right? And because it does, right? Like you have a responsibility because you're a nuclear power. Yeah. You have a responsibility because you have legitimacy, like legitimacy in the world, right? You are an actual state. You have yeah. an army. So you have to take that responsibly. And also, frankly, you have a responsibility to your religion because yeah. there is no other Jewish state. So yeah. the rest of the world looks at your policies and says that they're Jewish policies when they have no real tie to Judaism, right? No. Like nothing in Judaism would make an apartheid okay. Yeah. That's not okay. So I feel like that stuff is changing and that's good. But while we get there, there is a lot of bullshit on both sides that we have to be careful about. And part of that is Islamophobia and part of that is anti-Semitism because there's like, why is there anti-Semitism in this country about Israel? I don't get that. Like, I don't understand why people are ready to jump. Like you, we have the luxury of knowing the difference between the state and the religion. Mm -hmm. And when we kind of fall into those traps, we're not helping the cause. We're just fucking things up. Yeah, I think that if if you are using anti-Semitism in your argument or using anti-Semitic tropes in your argument to to like fight on behalf of Palestinians, the only thing you're proving is what Netanyahu says, which is that Israel has to remain a Jewish supremacy because the rest of the world hates Jews. Like that's mm -hmm. essentially how the right wing of Israel functions is with this idea that there's no place in the world that is safer for the Jewish people than Israel, right? And in speaking with a lot of my progressive friends and my progressive Jewish friends, the biggest thing that we've all talked about is that, you know, as long as the extremist point of view exists, nobody is going to be safe. Like mm -hmm. I, when 9-11 happened, I as a Muslim person in America was not safer. I was no no Muslim in the world was safer after 9-11 nope. happened, right? Nope. Because extremism doesn't actually make the people that they, an extremist group uh, says that they represent, they don't make those people any safer. Israel, the current Israeli government and the right-wing Israeli policies and the extremist settler policies and all of the policies that keep Palestinians uh, you know, under siege, um, they... The, all of those things don't help Israeli people feel any safer. All of mm -hmm. those things are, they exist because of racism. Like there's this, this idea, right, that I've seen over and over again, which is that when you say that Palestine should be free, then that means that you want to annihilate all the Jews. And while there is some reality to that, right, because yeah. Hamas does want to annihilate all the Jews, right? Mm -hmm. That's not what Palestinian people want. When Palestinian people say that they want to be free, they just want to have freedom of movement. They just want to be able to go places. They just want to be able to not have, uh, you know, their land taken from them and their olive trees burnt down and their families, you know, unhoused within a moment's notice and their uh, brothers and sisters molested at IDF checkpoints and their uncles and grandparents arrested by the IDF and then not given a trial and just kept captor for years 
That's the shit that they don't want. And if we live in America where we know the way the racist police system works, we know how the white supremacist criminal justice system works, why are we having such a hard time understanding that a similar policy might exist somewhere else in in another country? Mm -hmm. And I just want to go ahead and say, similar policies exist almost everywhere in almost every single country, okay? Like in fucking Pakistan right now, they are kicking out millions of refugees out of Pakistan and sending them back to Afghanistan to be for the Taliban to deal with them. Mm-hmm. That's fucked up. Those yeah. people have been there now for 25 years and they're pushing them back. Like it's, uh, it makes me so angry, right? Because essentially what you're talking about here is let's be honest and ask ourselves why treatment of an entire group of people, uh, treating an entire group of people less than is okay for you like why is that okay and there's no amount of like for you to for anybody to say well it makes me more secure well why do you inherently believe that your security relies on the dehumanization of an entire group of people because then if that's what you believe what, what you're saying is that that entire group of people is not to be trusted they're not normal they're they're threatening they're savages they're barbaric and that's racism yeah. And I think that's like that's the stuff that I'm struggling with right now because so what happened in my town recently is that the high school wanted to organize a walkout. And the flyers that the school put out said, you know, end the genocide. We're protesting Israel's occupation of Palestine and or the Palestinian territories and or Israel's occupation of Gaza. And the bombardment on Gaza. And in the bottom of the flyer, it said, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. I didn't know that a lot of Jewish people view that as a death chant for Jews. That phrase actually came to be in like the 1940s when Israel was being made, right? Mm -hmm. And as far as the Palestinians, let me just think of like, let's talk about the Palestinian perspective. You are living in your land. The British come around and say, you're going to have to share this land with these people that we've decided are going to live with you. Okay. And when those people come, there is a war because they're pushing you out of your homes. And when that war happens, those people are backed up with Western superpowers who are going to, um, who brutalized you. The When you talk about the Nakba, people talk about it as if it was just like, oh, the Arab-Israeli war happened and oh, well, they lost. Well, that's that again, that's where your dehumanization starts because you're now saying that a million people that were displaced and hundreds of thousands murders and entire villages, the shit that you saw, you heard the Hamas did on 10-7, they fucking did that during the Nakba. There's, There's proof of it. There's IDF soldiers, former soldiers who have actually given their testimony about what they did during the Nakba. And if you're going to say that that's just a casualty of war, then you have to understand that for people who live in Gaza, who believe that they are constantly in a war with Israel, were right or justified to do what they did on 10-7. I'm not saying that that's justified. I'm also not saying that what happened in 1948 is justified. None of it is justified. But if we're going to be honest with ourselves about what, about what, 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 how we care about people and how we care about humanity, but we only give that grace and that humanity to one group of people, then we're not being honest about ourselves and our feelings about the other group of people. And that's true for Muslims and how they view Jews. And that's true mm-hmm. for 
uh, the Jewish population and how they're viewing Palestinians or Arabs, right? Because all Palestinians, there's there's also Christian Palestinians in Gaza, many of whom who have died. That population in Gaza has been there since probably the time of Christ himself. So it's not just against Muslims, but obviously we have a lot more of like a Palestinian support in Muslim circles. But anyway, I didn't realize that River to the Sea was a death chant. And I didn't realize that a lot of Jewish people view it that way. That chant is something that I have heard pretty much since the 90, late 90s, like since we started going to rallies. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you. There are times when I have heard that chant, and it is people who believe that Israel should not exist as a state. There are also, in more recent times, times when I have heard that chant, where people believe that they would like Palestine or Palestinians to have the same freedoms that Israelis do. That's all they want. They want the freedom of movement. They want dignity. They want safety. They want to be able to have their own government because people keep saying like, well, why do, why does anybody owe Hamas anything? You know, they have their own government. They don't have their own government. Gaza is not a country. Palestine is not a country. It's not a country. It's still occupied territory. That's the thing that I like, I don't understand why people ignore that. And these are not countries. These are not places with government. These are not places with infrastructure. It's still occupied territory. It's still infrastructure that is owned and run by Israel. And in the West Bank, where there's no Hamas, again, there are still hundreds of people dying that have died since October 7th. And there's no Hamas there. Mm -hmm. So, like, I recognize... I recognize the Jewish people's fear because like you said, for people like the Jew, the, the Jewish population who are like, we've been fucked over by everybody for our entire existence. We're not going to fucking believe anybody. I understand that trauma. It's a trauma yeah. response for you to believe that that is a death chant. But what I have seen happen in my town is that there is no outreach. There is no communication between the pro-Israel camp and the pro-Palestine camp. There's nobody talking about how we should try to come together. There is nobody trying to say, well, let's be mindful of the Islamophobic terminology we're using because when people are saying like, it's a death chant to to Jews, what you're basically saying is you believe that in order for, you believe every Palestinian believes, you believe that every Palestinian believes that their freedom can only happen if every single Jew is eliminated from Israel. That's what you believe. And if you believe that, if you believe that, that that is what every Palestinian wants, then let's be honest about your anti-Arab bias that you are holding inside. Yeah. Be honest about it. And and maybe that bias exists, obviously, because there's been suicide bombers, there's been two intifadas. Yeah. There's stuff happening, right? But those things also don't just happen in a vacuum. They happen because the Israeli government is dehumanizing these people for 75 years. And that doesn't mean that they get to then go and kill your families, but you have to understand what these people are up against. And when we talk about we just need to eliminate Hamas and we need to get the hostages back, you're fucking lying to yourself because what you're saying is that the 1.5 people who have been displaced in Gaza so far, the 10,000 people who have died almost in Gaza so far, that what what's the plan for them? What are you going to do for them? Like, 
we need to be honest about how we actually care about people because I care, I care about Israeli people. I care about Jewish people. I want them to feel safer. It makes me mad that Israel has not made them safer. It makes me mad that people are being anti-Semitic in their pro-Palestinian activism. I genuinely care. But I wonder sometimes if there is that same amount of care for me and my existence as a Muslim person in America because of some of the language that I've heard used. So... You know, in terms of our pro-Palestinian stance, right, everything that you just said, I completely sign off on because that's what I believe also. You know, it's, you know, that's the, you know, the, those are the Israel, the, the, the state of Israel's policies that we're talking about, right, that are fucked up, that are yeah. fucked up by any measure, right? Um, and so I don't think I need to add anything to that at all. I do want to get to okay so we're not there but it seems like we are that the conversation is being shifted locally somehow so yeah. you, like you you just mentioned you like the like the the two sides within your town right if we want to be of any help in this situation regardless of which side you support it is important to be patient with the other side because yes. all you all you fucking have to do is talk to somebody else. Yes. That is your only responsibility. Yes. And you have the patience within you to talk to somebody else and to give them a little bit of space. Yes. Because I want to think about because you know you mentioned you don't know if uh as a Muslim woman there is sympathy for you sometimes in America, right? I am not a Muslim woman. Um, I may I may be 0 for 2 on both of those, actually. Um, <laughs> but I'll say I'm, I'm heartened, if that's a word, by seeing things like the folks in Grand Central, right? The folks yeah. that shut down Grand Central. And they were wearing Jews against the occupation shirts, right? Yeah. It warms my heart that there are Jews that can see the full picture. Um, that see the entire picture in all of its context and still say that, yes, Israel is important to me. Yes, I want Israel to exist. But yes, Israel's policies are fucked up, right? To yes. do that is a brave stance. And yeah. that is, as a Muslim, I find that really, really comforting. Yeah. And more than that, it's not, you know, Anytime, because I think we kind of a little bit experience it, not on this level at all, but you know what, during June, when we're talking about the pride stuff, right? Yeah. Sometimes when you talk about, a, you know, about something within your religion that you don't agree with, people look at that as a betrayal. Yep. When I was looking at those folks in Grand Central, that wasn't a betrayal of Judaism. To me, it was like an attribute to the yes. religion, right? Yes. That is the glorious parts of Judaism. Similarly, as Muslims, it is our responsibility to differentiate. Yes, it it's hard sometimes because the state of Israel is created in the name of Judaism. But you have to be careful about yes. not falling prey to that shit because it is very, very easy. There mm -hmm. is a lot of there is a lot of that out there, and people are just waiting, just waiting to jump into that filthy pool with you. Right. And if for some reason you are not aware, the Jewish people, again, have been historically fucked over. Mm -hmm. So 
there is a reason for the mistrust, right? All you have to do is be honest. So like, you know, I was thinking about, you know how there's like those hostage signs? Yeah. And now people are ripping them off. Yeah, fucked up. And I was thinking about how upset that makes me, right? And I understand why people rip them off. They rip them off because, again, you are making this story about one person when there's 9,000 on the other side. Yeah. And it this picture is not, it's not giving the full context of the picture, right? What it doesn't change is the fact that that hostage is a hostage. Yes. Right. And the return of that hostage is good for everybody. Yep. So ripping down that sign does nothing. Yep. You are not helping anybody. If you really want to help out, all you have to do is freedom of speech, right? Like they post it on a poll. You can post something else on the poll too. You can post, you can, if you want to give context, you can give context. It's not that hard to say, yes, we pray for the safe return of the hostages. Please also pray for the 9,000 dead due to Israel's bombing. That's all you have to say. That's what we're looking for. And people are willing to listen. I know a lot of times, you know, if all you go by is like the really loud people. Yes. It's going to, it's going to feel like these two sides can't ever agree. But there's a lot of people in the middle and there's a lot of people that want to hear the sympathetic side of both sides because that's what a good person should want to do. A good person should want to hear both full sides. Right. And, you know, I know we're making, you know, we're making a moral judgment on the state of Israel because those are our morals. And I don't think I would change that regardless. Right. There may be a moral justification for Israel that I don't see, but I highly doubt it. I don't think that there's anything that yeah. morally justifies Israel's actions, right? But if somebody wants to talk about it, okay, I'll listen to them. If you, hey, if you want to tell me that hey, we won the war, that land belongs to us, that's the, to the victor goes go the spoils or some 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 something like that, right? You can say that to me. I disagree with you because you know we're here seventy five years later, and that's not what we have to go by. But all you have to do is just. Just, yeah, I don't know, man. Just have an honest conversation with, with somebody else and just give people grace and don't fall victim to like the hate shit. And you know when it's hate shit, right? Yeah. You know when you're like, oh, okay, I'm really gonna, I'm gonna go in deep with some hate shit. Yeah. So, so there's like, so, so this, this rally poster came up. People were really against it. They didn't like the, the language. There was the, from the reverse of the sea was the biggest issue for a lot of people, regardless of where they stood on, um, on the issue. But there were a lot of people in town who were like, how dare you call it a genocide? How dare you call it an occupation? How dare you say apartheid? That is anti-Semitic, right? And again, yeah, it's the reality. I mean, it is what it is. You criticizing a political, um, a political, uh, criticizing a policy against a people does not make somebody anti-Semitic. Just... It's a policy like that's that's crazy. That's like saying that if we if I don't like cops and I'm anti white or something like that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um, essentially the the walk off got canceled and the town put out a message saying that the students decided that they're going to work on their messaging. And right now it's postponed until later. So. I, by the way, made a mistake of going on Facebook why would you do it? First of all, first you of still all, have a Facebook account? What do you what, what what are we doing here? Okay, listen. This is 2007? Okay, here's the thing. Are you on that farm game? What's that farm game that you people <laughs> Farmville? Play? No, I never played any games on Facebook. Don't. Anyway, 
I unfortunately am part of the town's Facebook group. It is. I will say where's, this. Where's your minivan co- being delivered? <laughs> <laughs> I will say there's times and it's been amazing, but there are currently times when I'm like, everybody has lost their marbles, right? <laughs> So I finally, because I searched the group and I said, has anybody even said anything about Islamophobia? Has anybody posted about, you know, um, Wadia who passed, who was murdered, the six-year-old boy from Chicago that was murdered? Like, has anybody posted anything in solidarity for Arabs? No. All of the things in my town has been very much one-sided. And again, I want to say this. I understand why it's one-sided. I understand why a bunch of people who are be- who belong to the same group can feel angry and upset and emotional and decide to support each other. I understand that. And it's not their necessarily their responsibility to worry about me, right? There isn't. If I'm making a choice to worry about them, to care about them, that's a choice that mm-hmm. I'm making. It's yeah. not their responsibility to then give it back to me because that's not how activism works. The only way I can make them give a shit about me is if I introduce myself to them and I work with them and I get to know them, right? So I posted in there and I said, I would like to organize a community vigil or something. Because the biggest thing that I've noticed is there is an immense sense of like mourning. And I think that for a lot of Jewish people, they never got a chance to mourn what happened on 10-7, right? Because of Mm -hmm the immediate response. And obviously a lot of people saying like, this is what happens when you occupy a people, right? This is what happens. Doesn't justify what happened. Um, But that's what a lot of people were saying. And it it, it set a lot of progressive people and a a lot of even progressive liberal Jewish people in America into sort of this like feeling of, I'm not even allowed to fucking mourn what just happened to my people because you guys are justifying it with something else, right? So there's almost been this like, whiplash that they've had to go through and suddenly their government is now going through this extreme extreme military action to murder thousands of people and it's like i'm it's this the world has made us feel like we are not allowed to mourn our people because if we're mourning our people that means that we are okay with the murder of another people And I think I see that on the Jewish side a lot. And I'm seeing that also on the Palestinian side, right? The reason why people are ripping down those posters are because they're like, well, what about us? So what I propose in my town is to do some sort of like a community vigil where we at least mourn the deaths and the trauma that both sides are experiencing. Um, So I've actually started to talk to a couple of different like interfaith groups. You know, I worry about bringing like Muslim leaders into it because you and I have talked about like, I don't, I don't mess with these Muslim leaders. Okay. You're out there marching about the human rights of Palestinians. Meanwhile, they don't give a shit about the human rights of queer Muslims. So like, whatever. Anyway, so I've been working with a couple of different people and hopefully the goal is, like you said, to just talk to people, to just give voices to some Palestinians or Arabs in town so that there isn't this, you know, gut reaction, this feeling that you get in the pit of your stomach when you see a Palestinian flag or when you see a kafia or something like that that makes you exactly. feel like that person is out to get you 
or as uh, for Palestinians, when they see an Israeli flag, they don't need to have that reaction because they have to actually talk to people and understand what it means. For a Jewish person, you could talk to a Palestinian and find out what from the river to the sea means, right? For Palestinians, you could talk to a Zionist and understand what Zionism means to them, right? Because it is personal. There's political Zionism, and then there is the personal Zionism, right? And so, again, like you said, we're here in New Jersey. <laughs> so fucking far away. So fucking, fucking far away. So privileged. Three Wawas and a quick check within three minutes of me. That's how safe I am. Okay. Wow. That's very lucky. I only I have know. one Wawa. Wawa. Exactly. I only, have Wawa. One, I only have one Wawa. And that is at least 12 minutes away. Is it at least a gas station? It is. Okay. Good. Okay. By the way, it's a little side detour i went to a wawa recently i was very disappointed in their iced coffee selection they don't have any iced coffee they don't have they have bullshit iced coffee they have only they only have machine iced coffee i've yeah. thought a lot about this no you could you go to quick check for the iced coffee what are you a maniac <laughs> i didn't know how am i supposed to know first of all there's no quick checks near me do you know about That's a quick okay. check near me um not too far away oh know you know what they're building one in, in east hanover I, I know of many in Bloomfield, which isn't too far away from you, but I won't tell you how I know of the ones in Bloomfield. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, Midnight. sorry. Yeah, like we're extremely privileged. We're There's a couple of things that we're privileged on. One, we're so far away. We're all perfectly safe, right? Number yep. two, the other, the other thing is um, we, you and I are South Asians. We're Muslim. Uh-huh. We were born mm-hmm. in the Middle East. Yep. We have experienced anti-Semitism. Uh, we have experienced Islamophobia. We have experienced racism. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, none of our friends and family are Palestinian. No, we have friends that are Palestinian, but none of our family is Palestinian. We no. don't have the history with Palestine. Nope. We have history with India. Oh, yeah, we do. Oh, boy, do we have some history with India. Yeah, we do. But we don't have that history with Palestine and Israel in our, in our you know, generationally. That Palestinians do. I, I we're not Jewish people, so we are not as directly impacted by this. We're direct. We're impacted by it in a way that yes, it makes us upset and it makes us sad and all that stuff. And I think for me, it makes me really sad because I I know this sounds cheesy, but I fucking love all my Jewish friends and all my Palestinian friends so oh. much. Okay. What were you gonna say? No, I was like, oh, okay, you you love your Jewish friends? It sounds like when somebody says, no, I have all my, my best friend is black. <laughs> oh, I mean, my, be- <laughs> my best friend is Jewish, but also born, in is- also born in Israel. But listen, my point is, like, I think the reason why I get so worked up and so upset is because I love them so much and I understand the hurt that everybody is feeling so much. And I know that they're everybody is a good person. They these are just like deep trauma responses to fear. And I know that so much of it would be resolved. And I've seen it happen. So much of it would be resolved if people just gave each other space to openly talk about their feelings, but also to openly mourn each other's suffering. Like really come together and say, like, I understand the pain that you have, and I understand that that sucks, and I know that you're hurting, right? It's not easy to be Palestinian who has grandparents that still wear the keys around their necks because of the homes that they were displaced from, right? Mm -hmm. I understand what it's like to have a parent who is never going to be allowed to go back home to the the land where they were born. Meanwhile, 
Judy from Brooklyn mm-hmm. is given a birthright trip to go visit that village. It fucking sucks. That yeah. is a terrible thing for a Palestinian American to be experiencing, right? And also, like we said, as a Jewish person, the world's not been so nice to nope. the 2% people of this world. Yes. There's, there's a very real reason for that fear, man. Like, it's really hard. And it's like, it, it, you know, like the, what surprises me is like how little space people need. They see like just a little bit. Like all you really need to see is like the E-I-N at the end of a name and you fucking just run to anti-Semitism. That's what yeah. it feels like when I talk to some of these people. I'm like, what's wrong with you? It's insane. It's like, insane. The the stuff where people are like, I don't believe that that actually ha-. like they're going into conspiracy theory yeah. land. Fuck. Oh my god! And by the way, I've seen that shit on both sides. I've seen pe- obviously fucking Biden was out there being like, I don't trust the numbers coming out of Gaza. Right. Suck my dick, Joe. Hey, what are you on. saying? <laughs> would he would he remove his gums for that? Is he <laughs> Does Joe have teeth? I don't know, but Biden twenty twenty four. We're not gonna fuck around here. Biden twenty twenty four. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. There's a pause there. I'm upset because what's the fucking alternative, okay? That's true. Everywhere is bad, okay? Everywhere is bad. And by the way, I would not be mad at Palestinian Americans or Arab Americans who do not vote for vote for Joe Biden. You are that. absolutely in your right to not do that. Yeah, he has to earn your fucking vote, and he's yep. not when he goes up there and he says shit like, I don't trust the numbers coming out of Gaza, okay? I get it. So, like, I see that shit, right? Yeah. And I see people being like, you know, they, they've, there's this fucked up thing that I see in um, super, like, right wing Israeli uh, circles, which is uh, Pallywood, which is where they say that Palestinians are crisis actors. Oh, come on. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fucked up. There's like, TikToks of uh, Israelis pretending to be, it's like TikTok challenges of pretending to be Gazans, like dead Gazans. It's super fucked up, right? There is shit like this, okay? And the thing is that this shit only happens when you have the media and politicians constantly dehumanizing the other side. Because my belief is that if Israel, if Israelis and Palestinians actually got along and talked to each other and the common citizen actually spoke to each other and they came to an agreement on what they felt like was good for them, right? You're your regular, which is probably a majority of them, your regular Palestinian person who just wants to fucking live their life and regular Israeli person who just wants to live their life. If they came to an agreement, if they actually spoke to each other, if they actually traded stories, you wouldn't have a need for extremist government. You wouldn't have a need for Netanyahu. You wouldn't have a need for Hamas. And if you don't have a need for them, if you don't have a need for the right wing or the for the extremists, then they don't exist anymore. And yeah. the thing I is, mean, yeah. I think we have to be like, obviously, I think, you know, this thing about talking to people, talking to the other side, uh, obviously, it makes I think it's the only thing that makes sense for us in the West, comfortably living in the West, I would say. I don't want to, I agree with you. I think anybody talking to the other, to another person that they've been told to hate their entire lives and instead of killing them, they decide to talk to them. That is always a better option. Having said that, this is a situation that has been going on for seven, eight decades now. Yeah. Um, So I don't want to like minimize how hard it is for the two sides to come to an agreement. Of course. 
Yeah. And it, and I understand that there would be m- many a reason on both sides for to not trust the other side. I get it. Mm-hmm. But I do think that that all of that gets all of that divide the division happens more and more because of the way the media portrays the other side and because of how politicians function and yeah it's it's deeply uh, upsetting but hey go talk to a palestinian or a jewish person today (laughs) where do i have i was gonna where do you find Help me find a Jew. No, that's a bad thing to say. Oh, no, real. No. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, dark stuff. Dark, spooky, scary stuff. Happy Halloween, everyone. I was supposed to go to a haunted uh, hayride last week. I couldn't do it. I was like, why would I want to go and do this thing where, like, people in, like, play dead bodies are going to, like, jump at me? There's fucking devastation all over the world. No thanks. (laughs) Do you get scared? Are you scared of a haunted house? I don't like it. <laughs> I don't see the point of it. I don't want to trap myself in this situation. Why would I what do are we this? Doing? Oh, why? Why am I paying you for this? What am I getting scared? For what? There's so what, much why? scary stuff out there. Yeah, there's sad stuff in the world. There's sad, scary stuff in the world. Why would I purposely go and go to... Why do you need to go to a haunted house? Just fucking read the news. Yeah, man. Uh, R.I.P. Matthew Perry... I'm really sad about it. I'm like extreme. I am way more distraught than you know. It's one of those things where, like, seeing how he was the last couple of years, you you it wasn't completely unexpected. But I'm just so sad. I'm I miss that guy. I, like I love that guy so much. Yeah, Studio um, Sixty on the Sunset Strip was like you're the only person who watched that I, show. It was me and Matthew Perry. We're the only two. Maybe Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> he wrote it and he made it. I don't know if he watched it. It didn't look like he watched it. Um, that show, you know, because obviously everybody's going to remember Friends and he that's what he should be remembered for. He was uh-huh. basically, he inspired a generation of white boys. Every white boy that I went to high school with that thought they, they were kind of funny was doing a Chandler impression. Yes. Right? Every yeah. single white boy. And then like the brown boys got comfortable and they started doing a Chandler impression. I yeah. feel like I do a Chandler impression. We all do it. Right? Yeah, sure. And then it got replaced by, I think, Jim from The Office, because now, like, all these people, all they, all they want to do, apparently, white comedy now, it's like pranking people. That's what all the YouTube videos are. You <laughs> prank somebody, and then you stare at the camera. <laughs> you sound like the oldest person in the world. Yeah, Kids these sudden, days on YouTube, they're pranking care for each prank other. Videos. I don't, I don't care like prank, prank videos either. I don't no. care for pranks, just like I don't care about haunted houses. <laughs> Anyways, back to Matthew Perry. Yes, Chandler was amazing. But Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, that that one season is his best work. If you like, I'll send you some clips to watch. He was so he was perfect for that show. I can't believe that that show didn't get. I mean, I know why the show didn't. It was a faulty show Mm -hmm. um, and it was kind of annoying at parts. It was too preachy and stuff. But he was incredible on that show. And he was incredible on the two and a half episodes of The West Wing that he was on, also written by Aaron Sorkin. Mm -hmm. So. I always figured because I watched those things that there was going to be uh, like a rebirth at some point that he was going to have a second act and he never did. And it's really sad because that guy, I don't know how he was in his personal life. I don't know if he's, I know we got upset at him for uh, picking on Keanu Reeves, which was just dumb on his part in his book. 
But the like the actor guy, he was I'm gonna miss him. Oh, I forgot that we got mad at him about that. Yeah. You know what? We- it's forgiven. What do I care? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm very sad about it. Uh some of my favorite things that he worked on, number one, Raheel, a movie that you and I both love very, very much. Yes, Seventeen again. Oh, I thought you were gonna say Fools Rush In. Okay, but yes. also but also Fools Rush In. Really great. I believe him as older Zach Efron. They're both <laughs> equal levels of charming. Yes. I love that movie so much. <laughs> Leslie Mann is very good in that. Oh, she's amazing. Um yeah, 17 Jan. again. Huh? Jan from the office is in it too. <laughs> yeah. Seventeen again and Fool's Russian. Two amazing movies. Fantastic. He was in a movie called Hold Nine Yards. Did you watch that? Uh, I did watch the whole nine yards in the theater, and I watched the whole ten yards in the theater. Is that a prequel or a sequel? It's a sequel. It's a sequel. Both with Bruce Willis and Amanda Peet, I believe. Oh, okay. Natasha Henstridge. Oh, okay. Oh, she's a, okay. Was he good in that? He was okay. Yeah. It wasn't something that yeah. stuck out to me. Yeah. I yeah. So R.I.P. to him, man. Drugs are bad. I mean, I think he had a heart attack. I don't think that he was on drugs. I think he was. I think he was sober. I think he probably done a fair bit of damage to his body, which is sad. But it looked like he was kind of on like the path to recovery. But you never know, right? Yeah, yeah, man. I always also forget that he and Justin Trudeau went to like primary school together. I did not know that until this very moment. I really forget that. I just Ju- didn't know. Justin that. Trudeau tweeted, "I'll miss our schoolyard games." Oh, did he really? Yeah. Did he do it in brown face? No, real. <laughs> Oh, Justin's having a hard time. Yeah, Justin's. Uh, it's I don't bad think times for him. Back. Bad times for Justin. Very handsome though. Still handsome. He's sing- single. Oh, that's right. The missus. Yeah, hmm. she's hot. Is she? Oh yeah, she's she's like a she's hot in ways that I can't explain. Oh okay, all right. Yeah, <laughs> because you're my brother. Anyway, um, we talk some more sports. Can I do some? I actually I do want to hit one sport thing. Okay, what I is think it? it's important to us. Is it about? Is it about the Vikings again? It is about the Vikings. Oh no! But it is an olive branch. Oh, and I say this with all sympathy. Uh, the guy Kirk Cousins, who I called the Vikings motherfucking quarterback last week, um, because he beat the 49ers, got uh, tore his ACL, and he's <gasps> out for the year. And oh, I feel really no. bad because mm. you know, obviously, there's like a sports. Uh, understanding of the person, like I know, just I, I know what Kirk Cousins, the the quarterback, what to expect of him. I know how to make fun of him and all that stuff. But he was in this QB one documentary, not QB one, the quarterback documentary on Netflix. He's a great guy, mm-hmm. and you never want to root for injuries. And he's out, and I feel like I keep, uh, uh you know, razzing the Vikings fan, um, yeah. and uh, my sympathies to you. So yeah, you that's go. not nice. I always feel bad when there's an injury, like even mm-hmm. for fucking Aaron Rodgers, that anti-vax piece of shit. Yeah, he, may, he may come back week 15 or week 16. The season's over then. Uh, Well, the Jets are technically still in it. Oh, Four and I, I want to say, by the way, some shout out to the Jets and some bullshit that our boy Robert Sala had to deal with, you know, yeah. so they were doing like the... um. Uh, heritage whatever they were putting like little flags of like your family's heritage on your uh, sweatshirts and stuff I guess at the NFL 
And so Robert Sella, he is comes from a Lebanese American family. He had the Lebanese flag, the flag of Lebanon on. And a whole bunch of people were tweeting like, what does this mean? Is he standing in solidarity with Hamas? What is yeah. and I'm like, that you are racist against Arabs. Okay, that and is the thing. Huh? And ill-informed. And ill-informed. They're like, it does he support Hezbollah? I'm like, <laughs> what is wrong with you people? It's so stupid. It's it's can, very. Can we, can we touch on Amy fucking Schumer for a second? Hey, I want to end this on a rage. Your girl, your girl, your girl. Okay, Amy I don't know why. At what point? Who decided that she was my girl? I've never liked her. God, you didn't like the Schumer show. I I didn't mind the Schumer show. I never watched any of her content. The only thing I've ever seen of Amy Schumer is Trainwreck, which is a good movie because of Bill Hader. Mm-hmm. He's the best. He's so good. Um. If you don't know, Amy Schumer is using Instagram like an old lady who just started using Facebook. And that lady is posting Islamophobic meme and tweet after meme and tweet. It is so bad. It is so bad. It is so out of control. And I think the reason why it makes me so mad is because there are professors and doctors and people getting doxxed and fired for the shit that they are posting. I will say some of it. I'm like, you know what? I think you you deserve to get you. Oh, yeah. You play stupid games. You win stupid prizes. Okay. <laughs> I think some of you guys fine, but a lot of people are getting in trouble for simply just saying things like there should be a ceasefire or yeah. calling out the genocide of Gazans. Like that is the shit that some people are getting in trouble for at work, and that is bullshit. But here's Amy motherfucking Schumer, who is out there posting blatantly Islamophobic shit, okay? And she's probably still going to work. Like she's I don't pro- think so. You don't think so? I, I think so. I think what happens with celebrity is you are, it's how entertaining you are versus how much of a headache it is to support you, mm. right? Um, and I think the the prime case for this is Kanye. Because Kanye's content is so good, has been so good that he's basically been given 15 to 20 years more um, grace than, you know, he probably, somebody else would have gotten. And it's because his content was so good, right? Yeah. Amy Schumer's content in the beginning, I think for a lot of people, the I mean, she was funny. She was a funny person. And the fact, you know, that she wasn't traditionally... Like she was in leading lady, traditionally leading lady, attractive or whatever, made it good for her to be in the spotlight. I think that that overall, that that's maybe maybe a good thing, right? What's happened since then is, you know, everybody has a, a talent level. And I think she's kind of tapped out on her talent level. And I think she has justified for the fall in her celebrity She's justified the fall in her celebrity with saying things like, oh, people don't like me because I look a certain way, which isn't the reason. Right. So I think that was kind of the narrative with her before. So she's I don't think that she's really going to be a person of prominence after this because, A, she shouldn't be because the stuff is fucking insane. Yes. And two, I don't think she's worth the headache. Like you're not going to get a return on it because people aren't a fan of hers as much. And, you know, that's what happens. So yeah. fuck her. I mean, you know, she is it, all of that shit is just an ill-informed person spouting off bullshit. And I think it's going to have consequences. I, I hope it doesn't. I mean, you know, I'm not going to go watch an Amy Schumer 
movie if you know if that if that makes a difference i don't think a lot of other people are going to watch any more amy schumer movies but they may not have been watching amy schumer movies anyways yeah so you're right that's that no you're right you're right all right well um <sighs> real quick uh bethany frankel as you know i mentioned this before was raging against bravo she was doing something called the reality reckoning oh. where she was going to be you know, there was an article that Vanity Fair was going to put out. They did an entire piece on her and all the shit that Bravo Liberties have had to put up with. Oh, Bravo Liberties? That's what they're called for you. <laughs> okay. Shut up. Let me look at yourself in the mirror. There's BravoCon this weekend. Okay. <laughs> oh, no, it's Jax. <laughs> Shut up. Anyway, my point is. That uh, Bethany was like, oh, I'm coming for Andy, blah, 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 all this stuff, right? The Vanity Fair article comes out, and it has no information that we don't already know about Bravo. Oh. Like, they're like, cast members are racist. Like, Ramona is racist. We're like, yeah. <laughs> it's very entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not. But yeah, it's like, yeah, she's racist. Yeah. They're like people get drunk and act crazy and the producers make sure that they have alcohol. It's like yes. okay. Yeah, that's what we're watching for. <laughs> they're, like, they're like Bravo creates unsafe environments for people with mental health issues. Yeah, you shouldn't be on a reality TV show if you will have mental health issues, okay? Like I think I think wanting to be on a reality TV show is pretty good indication that you have mental health issues. <laughs> chicken before the egg thing <laughs> yeah so it's just like stuff like that it was just like it was so funny it was like she really tried she was like i'm gonna have a reality reckoning and then you know fucking we all read it and we we're like okay <laughs> thanks bethany anyway what do you munching on there you've been eating for some time so i don't know if i prepared this the right way but i just went to the turkish store uh -huh. and i got apple tea uh -huh. But it's just dried apples. And uh -huh. so I put dried apples and uh, into a cup with hot water. Mm -hmm. And so they have re you know rehydrated. Uh -huh. But so it doesn't taste apple. like apple tea. I don't this isn't apple tea. These are just like this is just apple sweat, essentially. <laughs> um and now I drank the entire tea part of it and there's little crusties. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry about this. Oh, important update. Um <laughs> To the listeners, I found out what that beeping noise was. Oh. There was an alarm in the laundry room that I had never seen before. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was hidden. So I took it out. Whatever. Oh, you just took it out? Yeah, it's not like the laundry is where fires start. <laughs> <laughs> totally safe. Super totally duper safe. <laughs> safe. And you know what? The lint catcher in the dryer? Just keep it there. Yeah, no, I keep a I keep a lighter by it. <laughs> kids kids wanna play.